Hi, friends. I'm Chandra Sanchez. And I'm Misha Lazera. And you're listening to Bandwives. I'm so happy to see both of our back drops, familiar, home, peaceful, sound. You have kind of a new backdrop. So for me, so I get it's a little bit of excitement still, but you're in your space. I flipped around. I wanted to be able to see out the window. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I got these windows right here and they're just looking at the crepe myrtles, which are blooming right now. So it's great. You know what? We're all anticipating fall. I want to see the leaves change. I want to see the people in their sweaters and be reassured that we're not going to be sweating forever. I, Adam and I yesterday took the whole day to sand our outdoor furniture, prime it, repaint it. It's like shades of green and blue and we have like a bench, a picnic table, and then like a little set of wooden chairs and table. It's all redone. It's beautiful. And now I'm like, it's fall. It's fall time. We can, and, but it's mosquitoes are... <laughs> They're at their worst, and it's the hottest day of the year in North they, Carolina today. So unreal. it's like, in my head, does not match what, yeah. what my dreams of fall. Did the Capricorn in you enjoy that process? Oh, oh, yes. I, he was sitting there, and it was funny because we had the people come and redo our house a little bit. They did the boys' rooms, the designers, and they left primer and spray paint. And I will sometimes <laughs> use signs from the universe as like motivation for my whole family. So I'm like, Adam, they left it. We have to do it today. We haven't done it. It was the the table was unpainted. And I think it was not going to survive if we didn't cover it. You know, it's just like raw wood. Yeah. So I was like, it's a sign. We got to do it. And then we didn't even use that stuff. We just went and got new (laughs) different stuff because we didn't want it to be white, but it got us motivated and it looks so beautiful. I love this. Um, Are they done? Are they done with the boys room? They're done. Holy cow, that was so fast. I mean, it was chaotic. Chaotic, good. Good. Do you love it? We love it. Keaton's room is so much bigger that I, I think we all felt it was a little more fantastic because there's these little alcoves and all this yeah, this entryway. And Asa, you know, he's younger, he has the smaller room. And so he was like maybe a little underwhelmed because we saw Keaton's first. But um, obviously, it's amazing. He has his own room. It's so cute. Oh, I cannot wait to see the big reveal. I know. I mean, I'll just send you the pictures. Okay. <laughs> I'll send you a video. I should have already done it. I went to, but it's been, my life has been so crazy lately with summer, kids not in school, autumn touring, book, um, paperback launch. I'm just, I'm I'll maybe never said this before, but I'm so grateful to slow down and be home and get recentered. Yeah. I, you know, I feel exactly the same way. I think you and I have been talking kind of offline a little bit about it, but just, I mean, we have hardly had a chance to connect in like outside of these chats because it's just been, it's been so great. And what's wild for me is that we haven't even toured this summer. We've been home, but not home at all for a second. Yeah. You were like no tour. So we have to do everything that we possibly can in the summer. Yeah. And then everything on our own without a tour manager or somebody else planning <laughs> yeah. my life. And I'm such a spoiled brat. I'm like, I don't even know. I mean, the first chance that I had to like really relax was last week in South Dakota. And I'm like, well, why was that so relaxing? And I realized it's because my dad was there and I had an, an adultier adult. <laughs> yeah. You know, like usually I'm the grown up. And so it was nice to have at least one. No offense, Claudio. I mean, he's also the adult, but a planner. Adam's the adult in our relationship, but I'm the planner. So I do do plan everything and all the times and flights and all that. But then Adam gets to be the adult. So, oh, thank God. Because um, I don't see my dad that much, but I saw him in Minnesota and it was so nice to, he's just like, I'll take you out for dinner. I'm like, fine, I'll follow you anywhere. Just take yeah. you to dinner. <laughs> Just somebody else make a plan, make a schedule, make a, you know, just have an idea. Yeah. And our guest is here. Yay. Hello, Jeff. Jeff, how are you feeling? 
Um, I'm good. I I guess I'm I technically uh, still have COVID, but uh, I'm feeling good. Um, didn't really get any symptoms. So that's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's also the like ten days that I had off between April and October for tour. So I'm like <laughs> quarantined. At least I'm quarantined with my partner, who is wonderful, and so we're really getting. Aww. You know, yeah, maybe it's for the, you know, some kind of weird blessing in disguise. You just had to stay home and connect with each other. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have bad news for everybody, which is we're about to go Mercury retrograde, if you believe in that kind of thing. So get ready for all the kinks. Excitement. No. We studied hard for our trip to Italy and believe it's important to always be learning and expanding horizons. Along with Italian, we're currently studying Portuguese, Japanese, Norwegian, and more. That's why we're so excited to partner with Babbel.com, Languages for Life, to offer 55% off subscriptions. We love their app-based lessons, online classes, podcasts, games, and more. We'll hook you up with discounted memberships so that you can learn to order Vino Rosso in any language. Search bandwavespod.com slash babble to sign up today. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and introduce you and we'll jump into it. I love it. Today we have Jeff Rickley on the show. He is a songwriter from New Jersey, and you might know him as the frontman for bands like Thursday and United Nations. But most recently, he's added author to his list of accolades with his highly acclaimed book debut, Someone Who Isn't Me, which NPR, that's my air conditioning, has <laughs> called, <laughs> quote, the raw opening salvo of an impressive new career. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, who said I was going to do another one? No. <laughs> no, it's like, you know, you did a great thing. So now this is your identity. Go ahead. Move <laughs> forward. Um, we're super excited to have you on the show. What are you juggling this week? Um, you know, I, as I was saying, I, I've, really, uh, I've really emptied my hands of things to juggle this week. <laughs> and um, I'm juggling, uh, I'm juggling feeding the two uh, stray cats that I look after and, and hanging out with my amazing partner. So what a life. Yeah, it's pretty good. That is the dream. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Would you like us to send some children over there? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have some stray children we could mm -hmm. a hand or two with. I, I am definitely out of the two of us. I'm the one who is more interested in children. So, so I don't think I'd be able to clear it with her. Mm. <laughs> Jeff, are you still in Brooklyn? I am. Yeah. I feel like we used to run into each other, you know, once in a while. Yes. I'm a North Brooklyn boy now. We used to all live in Park Slope area, but now I'm up in Greenpoint. Okay. So, awesome. Yeah. We're in, we're in Crown Heights. So we're still neighborly. Oh yeah. I'm not too far. Yeah. yeah. Cute, all oh, you cute Brooklyn yeah. people. All right, well, let's jump in because we would love for you just to kind of generally tell us about your book, Someone Who Isn't Me. Absolutely. Well, um, it's, you know, thank you for welcoming me into the club, Misha. You know, like, it's, uh, you know, we talked a lot about it for years and years. I know we did. We did. And uh, it was so nice to get some, um, some advice from a pro like yourself. Um, the book is, uh, it's loosely, you know, Dan Ozzie, who wrote that, that book, Sellout, uh, he said that it's, uh, that it's Dante's Inferno centered in a tour van, which I really like that description. Um, enough that I'm like, why didn't I come up with it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's basically, you know, it's a novel, it's fiction. It's a fictional novel about a character named Jeff. Jeff's in a band called Thursday. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but uh but yeah it's you know it's it technically i guess it falls into the category of auto fiction so a lot of it is from my life and um i basically i had the idea to write the book um i went to mexico and took an experimental treatment called ibogaine which is like um it's a super intense hallucinogen made from uh the bark of a, a shrub of the, the root bark of a shrub called the aboga shrug shrub and um people say that uh you know it's a psychedelic people say that 
ayahuasca is the gentle mother of psychedelics. And they say that I, Ibogaine is the harsh grandfather. <laughs> to give you an idea of the differences between the two of them. And so I took that treatment to, to, um, to try and get away from this heroin addiction that I had developed over the course of a number of years, maybe a decade or so. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it kind of helped. It really, like, really helped work it. But in the process, the hallucinations are about a 24. It can be from 24 to sort of 72 hours of hallucinations, which is an incredibly long period. <laughs> And you, it's like a life review. You see all the things that you've done wrong in your life, which is like, oh boy. I'm having like <laughs> a panic attack just talking about that. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, one of the people asked, you, you have to agree to do some psychotherapy first. You go down there for a week and they do a bunch of tests on you because it does kill some people. Um, so they have you like run on a heart monitor and, you know, there's a bunch of tests that they give you. And then they, um, and then they give you a bunch of like psychological preparation and in it, somebody asked, like, how do I know I won't just get addicted to Ibogaine? And, like, all the counselors just were cracking up. They laughed for, like, five minutes. They're like, that's very, that's very funny. You'll never want to do this again. <laughs> you know, like, trust us. <laughs> <gasps> that is so, wild. Yeah. We talked, uh, Misha and I were talking a little bit off show about autofic and the genre in general. How did you kind of settle in that space? What were your reasonings? Like, what did you uncover as you were moving through the, the writing process um, that made you say, you know what, I think maybe this needs a little bit more, you know, fiction? Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, so when I got home from this treatment, I thought, you know, my whole life I've wanted to write a novel. Um, and I thought, nobody's, I don't think anybody's ever written a novel about this this crazy drug you know what i mean it's such a like there's so many drug novels but nobody's ever written about this one. Oh, i think like i might have something interesting to say you know um so that was kind of like where i started and then from there i thought maybe it would be a memoir but i don't really love memoir like i really love novels um and you know i say that as a sweeping generalization obviously there's memoirs that i love um but so i went to i took a, a memoir class at 92nd street y uh, which is sort of yeah, a little bit of a, a literary um, establishment here in in New York, and I had a fantastic teacher, Wendy Salinger, and she, you know, I became I immediately this may this may be a surprise to no one, uh, but I immediately became the teacher's pet, you know, big teacher's pet <laughs> over here, overachiever, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and she was like. I love your writing. I don't think you're interested in memoir. You know, she's like, it just, it just hits me all the things that you're concerned about, like the ways that you want to use plot devices, the ways that you want to, you know, uh, characterize people. They're, you know, uh, they're more novelistic. And I, and I said, well, you know, the rest of my band always says that I never let the facts get in the way of a good story, you know? <laughs> uh, which drives them a little bit nuts. Um, but, you know, that was kind of like when I realized, oh, this is this is going to be a novel. And uh, I just thought, I guess I'll just write a memoir, but I'll write it in the style of a novel. And that's sort of where I started going. And by the second draft, um, I queried an agent and she was like, I love some of your writing. You know, this is what I think is working. This chapter. I was like, what do you mean that's the one working? She's like, the rest of it. No. <laughs> you know, like the rest of it not working so much. So um, and it's funny because it was the chapter that I started with because I had a really strong idea for what writing about Ibogaine should be like. Um, the kind of vividness, the kind of like I knew it should be in the first person in the present tense so that it felt like it was happening to the reader. Um, I just had a really strong feeling of like, this will be really intense. You know, um, I've seen some people say that it's a relentless book, which I don't think is totally true, but there are parts that are relentless. Um, and so that's where I started. And then luckily she is so lovely, my agent, and she also grew up on Thursday, which makes, uh, makes, <laughs> makes her a lot more sympathetic to all the things that I'm trying to do than if, if she wasn't, you know, um, uh, so she really like ushered me through, like, I think you should read that. She gave me a giant reading list of autofiction so that I could understand what my peers were doing, you know, 
And that was really helpful, um, especially the Sheila Hetty stuff, because uh, I realized like the book should be funny. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if I'm going to write about life, it better be funny. Um, Even though it's this like intense, harrowing experience, it should still be funny. Like I want people to have fun when they're spending time with me. You know what I mean? And I think like, that's kind of what writing a book's like. It's like getting somebody to spend a bunch of time with you and the way you Mm -hmm. think, you know? So I wanted it to kind of have a lot of different stuff to recommend it. And um, and that was kind of like, you know, I, I really thought the thing that I want to do as far as fiction goes is I want to tell a classic story. You know, I want it to be in the vein of something. You know, I was like, what do I want? Do I want like, is it a Shakespeare? Is it like, is it one of his plays? Is it five acts? Like what, you know what I mean? What's my undergirding? How am I going to figure this out? Uh, and then I was reading Joseph Campbell and thinking, like, do I want it to be a hero's journey? Everybody's writing hero's journeys. You know, what I mean, every Marvel film is a hero's journey at this point. Because they're know? good classic storytelling. No, they're yeah. amazing. Yeah. Right? They're, they're, and I think that every story that's good incorporates some some of that stuff. Yeah. Like it has to. But I then I was like looking at different classics and I was like, oh, the Divine Comedy. Like, I think this could be like, you know, if the whole uh, I began experience was sort of a trip down into hell and it was like this idea of you know confronting good and evil but but transposing both of those things into like instead of a platonic idea of good and evil it's like you are all those things so ultimately the final boss in the video game has to be you you know what I mean that was kind of like when I realized that I was like okay I think I have this you know what I mean this is a confrontation with the self and that the title of the book, Someone Who Isn't Me, is this um, is this thing that people used to say on drug forums. You know, it's basically like, I'm asking for a friend. Uh, oh. You know, how do you clean the needle? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. How do you do this? You know, it's like, oh, I'm not asking for me. Someone who isn't me wants to know, um, you know, because they thought that that was going to save them from the police, which I thought was so funny because it's so obvious, right? It's like asking for a friend. Like, that's not going to get you in court, you know? Um and then at some point I realized, well, so much of being a drug addict is evading yourself, trying to do this shell game where, well, I didn't do it. This other person did it, or this person did it, that, you know, this other thing. And it's all you. It's all it's all like inside you. And I thought, OK, that could be my book is this sort of like the echo and amplification of the millions of selves that we build so that we can lie to ourselves and get away with the things that we think we're getting away with. And then that started, you know, once I had the themes and I had the structure for like, oh, it's going to be the divine comedy and here are my themes and I'm going to use music as like this shorthand for chasing the dragon. You know, it's like the first time you hear music, it hits you and everything after that, you're trying to get back to that first time. Um, Then I had like kind of like all the pieces and it was just about trying to make the story fit those pieces. And that was really like 12 drafts, five years, five hours a day, five days a week, like my agent laughed. She was like, you found the one thing that pays less than music. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, this is great. Congratulations. <laughs> no, you're going to sell oh, a million so copies. You'll get all those royalty checks. It's Don't true. worry. It's going to be a movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate the vote of confidence from both of you. <laughs> if there's anything we yes. have, it's that, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Just have hope. <laughs> It's funny because when I was reading about the drug, it's, you know, truth is always stranger than fiction. Um, and I, I thought it was fiction. I couldn't even decipher like what the fiction was. And sometimes almost you have to fictionalize humanity because it is so surreal. And writing, I think, is a way to really deep dive into, into exploring how interesting life is on its own. Mm. That's really interesting that you say that because early on, I think there was a lot more like kind of like surreal parts and like almost like magical realism part. There was just all this stuff happening. And my agent kept saying like, this is the thing. You don't need any of that natural realism. It's like the real life is already all those things. You know what I mean? So like keep it as close to the ground as possible. You know what I mean? Like this is a pretty heady book. Like, so keep it grounded in the really real as much as possible and um the thing that i kind of came up with was that um even the writing itself i grounded it 
when the character's in withdrawal, I made it extremely grounded. And when he's high, he starts like the way he thinks about the world starts to be a little more poetic and a little more like he he keeps saying, I'm getting ahead of myself, you know. Um, and that became like a really fun way to to use like reality as this shifting genre. You know what I mean? Because reality is a shifting genre, you know, it's like yeah. uh if you if you ever get mugged, all of a sudden you're inside the crime story. You know, it's like it's like that's real life. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was really fun, and I really love like I just really I really love art. I really love storytelling. I really like it's really like I still get such a thrill out of all of it that um, having a new form to learn and to like love and to explore was such a joy, you know, um, my agent gave me this in- insanely long list of books to read. And I actually did a bunch of, uh, went out and looked for, cause I, I knew that I couldn't use memory in, in the book because, uh, so much of the book is, is inside the mind of the character that if I, when there were like the real parts of the first book and the third book, if I had started putting memory in there, then the timelines would really start getting too crazy. Like, well, what's memory? What's hallucination? What's real? All these questions. So I figured really early that I needed to, well, not really early, actually pretty late. I figured out that I had to. (laughs) But right on time. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I was actually, I'm like, wait, is draft eight really that early? (laughs) Not so early. (laughs) Um, But I figured out, oh, I need to find a different device. And that became like the inner and outer life. So um, in talking about the architecture of the inner life, I really wanted to understand how to talk about space and, and architecture and, and, these things with a little more depth and feeling. So I, I, this writer that I really admired, I asked her, can you give me a bunch of books on art? Like, what's a good book on architecture? And and like, is there like anything about like space and like interior and exterior? And she sent me immediately like the poetics of space. (laughs) It's just like, oh my God, you know, she sent me this huge other list of reading. So I did so much work that my agent said, you know, you got yourself an MFA here. Yeah. 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 As we both write down all the books that you Yeah, mentioned. we're going to need that list. I love Sheila <laughs> oh, I'll Heading, send too. You those. Yeah. Those yeah. Good, there's good stuff in there. The thing that I really loved was this uh, book called The Architecture of Happiness. And that's um, an Alan, Elaine de, de Baton uh, book. You know, he's a quite a well-known travel writer, actually. But this book, The Architecture of Happiness, had so many gems in it. And it really made me think, uh, you know, about space differently. And I'm sure that both of you having moved and been, you know, occupied so many different kinds of spaces can appreciate, you know, there's parts about uh, not just the poetics of space, but the the politics of space and, uh, you know, what it means to us to have like bars on our windows and things like that. You know, there's just so many different things that I've never really considered before. And it's such a rich field. And um, it's funny, there are a certain number of like space nerds, I'd call them, that are like, oh, you got into this stuff and you got into the, you know, this writer and this author and um, and this great book that came out the week after mine called Terrace Story um, by Hilary Lecter. Um, she wrote this beautiful book about this couple who have a little tiny New York apartment. And when they have one friend who comes over, suddenly they have a terrace and they don't know where it's come from and what's happening. It's a really strange, cool story. And she like hit me up and she was like, by the way, that was my reading list too. Like all those books on space. It's so wild that you like, she's like, I don't know anybody else who's writing about this kind of stuff. And then the two of us have our books come out, you know, a week apart. And we're both like deeply into this space stuff. (laughs) Which I love, the collective unconscious, you know what I, I mean? I do too. Yep. Lots of goosebumps. That's amazing. That story, that is such a cool premise. It's that magical time of year where the weather cools down, life kicks back into high gear, and the kids go back to school. The wives have you covered. Shop the Yamaha Back to School event at Guitar Center for 20% off keyboards, guitars, and pro tip, electronic drum sets. For your kids and your sanity. You'll also find Labor Day deals on instruments and a whole lot more at bandwives.com backslash guitar center. Work hard, play harder. Uh, 
I mean, it sounds like you've learned, like you got your own homegrown MFA. You've learned so much. I'm going to ask one more time before we move on, like one thing like crystallized that through this whole process coming out the other side now, what you've learned or like what you think is like one of the biggest takeaways, if there is one instead of maybe tributaries. The biggest takeaway. Yeah. Um, don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's I, but what was the yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't recommend that one either. You can yes. have um, um, no, I, I, I guess really. Um, geez, what a good question. Um, I think I used to have a really firm grasp on good writing. I used to really feel like there was like a very easy way to tell between good writing and bad writing. And now I've come a lot more to appreciate that that's like saying like somebody has a good mind or a bad mind. You know what I mean? Um, there, there are different writers who are beautiful for such different reasons, you know, and that's something that I really love now. You know, um, I used to have a very strong idea that was, I think, very firmly rooted in kind of the Iowa, Iowa writers yeah. workshop kind mm -hmm. of, yeah. um, you know, means of writing. And, and now like I've, I've gone through and really studied so many different writers. I mean, hundreds of books probably since I started writing my book, I read about, I guess I read about 50 books a year. Um, and when I was doing the book, I really like cranked that up and just started reading, reading, reading. And I started seeing, you know, writers who I considered having terrible sentence construction by the end of, you know, 30 or 40 pages of really trying to understand what they were doing with the project suddenly the way that they were doing it made sense to me. And I realized that the book couldn't exist without that kind of writing. You know what I mean? That these, uh, the sentences themselves weren't just like a flawed messenger to get across a good story, but that actually like the DNA of everything was in each sentence, you know? It makes me emotional, it's honestly. All... <laughs> I, can't, I can't listen to this anymore. It's so true. <laughs> well, as a teacher of freshmen, I totally, and that's kids who haven't really learned much about writing. I think that's completely true. I see it constantly. And it's just so amazing to be like, there's so much beauty and so much skill in the minds of all these people who become writers. Is the, and yeah. especially if they've gone to the process of publishing a book, you can only, like, you know, you went through the process and now you're like, wow, I know how much they put into this and how beautiful it is. <laughs> Just recently, I started reading this great book, Brian Dillon, I think it is. It's called Consider a Sentence or Consider the Sentence. And he just picks like, I guess all his life, he's been writing down beautiful sentences that he loves. So he's got notebooks full of them. And he's like, I picked my 27 favorites. So I really narrowed it down, you know, <laughs> and there's a chapter on each one of these sentences. And the thing that I loved about it is him being like, I love this sentence. It's so messed up. Look at here where it's wrong. Like how like. <laughs> It doesn't refer to the right object at the end. Like, this is messed up. The whole thing hinges on these poorly used M dashes. And then he goes through why it's so brilliant that it's done wrong and what that writer is able to accomplish by breaking the language down. And I really love that. Like, and I do think, you know, the more you understand the rules, the better you can be at breaking them. But it really, I really appreciated how much he, you know, each of these imperfect sentences was indicative of the writer you know, and that's what you love about that writer is the fact that they would do that wrong. So, yeah, it's just an, it's it's very much opened my eyes to the difference, you know, good writing, bad writing. It's like, well, bad writing maybe is too full of itself or too scared of itself or something. You know, there there are ways. But I think when a, when a writer is writing themselves truly and clearly and not lying, then, you know, it's going to be great. You just have to appreciate that kind of a person and that kind of a writer. You know? Absolutely. Perfectly put. <laughs> This is so fun. I'm having oh so much fun God. talking to you. <laughs> We're having so much. We are so excited to have you on because we love to talk about writing so much. And we don't get a chance to very often, you know, just with the premise of the podcast. And Do I get to be awesome. a band wife now, too? I think you, I kind of do. Yes. Oh, you yes. are. You're I am. Yeah. And we have our dinner. You're coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. So I loved your answer. I thought that was really profound. I think it's really important to explore things that you wouldn't ordinarily be interested in or like um, to kind of get better at your craft. Uh, I want to talk about an article that I read in GQ where you okay. talked about using fragrance and perfume as a trigger for creativity, 
which I love. I actually use candles. That's my my kind of go to. Um, and that you also have a really intense non lyrical playlist, William Pasinski on there. And we were curious if you have any other tips or tricks or like practical secrets to actually finishing a creative project, whether it's a record, it's a book um, that you could share. Yeah, I think being, you know, like I, I literally think the reason that I have so many creative friends who are so talented and are like, I could never do what you do, though. I don't know how, you know, and it's like, no, you're just as talented as I am. The only difference is I always finish. Always. You know what I mean? And if you finish enough times, eventually people are going to like hear one of them or see one of them or read one of them. And that's just like kind of like, that's literally my superpowers. I just finish, I finish, I finish. I just keep finishing. <laughs> and sometimes I finish in a medium like, ugh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this thing sucks. And I really like, <laughs> I put everything into it. Yeah, you know, Um, but, and to that end, I'm a, a big believer in, um, in a in a, a writing practice and you know uh, an artistic practice in keeping office hours basically for your own creative projects because I think that the idea of um, what do you call it like inspiration is not overrated but I just think that like inspiration will hit if you sit down and and do it if you sit down and write or write lyrics, you know, all the different kinds of things that I've written all these years that those things will hit while you're working. You know what I mean? Maybe it'll hit sometimes when you're out walking around and you should go like, write that down too. But, you know, if you spend enough time sitting down and doing your job as a writer and a thinker, then like inspiration will hit sometimes. And if it hits a couple times a week while you're sitting down, or even once a week while you're sitting down, you probably wouldn't have gotten that otherwise. If you're just waiting for inspiration to strike, you know, a month would go by and you go, oh, I haven't written this month. I haven't worked on my project this month. And to me, that's like, that's a huge one. So I like discipline. I really, for me, it's got to be the first hours in the morning are my most, um, that's when my brain is working the best. <laughs> um, and I also think that in a sense, those hours are a little more stolen. Like if you get up early enough that you don't have other things that are like weighing on you then you kind of feel like you're getting away with a little something by having it, you know, whether it's before work or whatever. But that's just that's just for me. You know, I think everybody has their own stolen hours that they can find or stolen hour. Even one a day can be so helpful. Yeah, that's my big uh, that's my big secret aside from, you know, fragrance. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I really like there's it's right right behind me is like my little fragrance desk. So I'm just like, let me see. I've got a bunch of samples up there wow. oh wow um and then i've got the atars which is like more the middle eastern tradition um so Ooh, these are all incredible. like al alcohol no joke and then down below here i've got like some <laughs> oh my bottles. god <gasps> this bottles. is my dream and wow. then and then way down below wow I've got, like, all kinds of like wild stuff in there so, We're yeah. coming. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to invite ourselves <laughs> over. Fragrance party. This is amazing. Inspired. Such an interesting fact about you. I, I read that your father's a chemist. Yeah. That... He would always say that he's not an artist. You know, he was a scientist and that he would solve chemical problems for formulas. But that like, you know, he'd be like these perfumers that I work with, though, some of them are just like, you know, it's like a symphony they're writing. And it's it's mm -hmm. it's an art form of time because evaporation curves, you know, change these things. And so he was a, a great admirer of perfumers, too. Um, and and my mom is more of a, you know, a, a, she's sort of a goth Anna Wintour type. So uh, she's like, you know, always had great taste in perfumes and clothes and all that kind of stuff. But, uh... <laughs> I hope my kids describe me that way one day. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's I was like honestly not expecting that. I'm very impressed. I'm still absorbing those levels of perfumery and that's beautiful. I just love that you went all in on that. Yeah, it was a weird I think it's sort of like it was a convergence of like I was uh when I was getting sober, I needed an obsession to throw myself into. Um and also like without snorting things, uh, suddenly I could smell how 
vivid and wonderful like that sense is again you know and i kind of lost track of it so having it back it just felt especially exciting and then i sort of found out also that there's like avant-garde uh perfume and that there are like basically punk perfumers out there that are kind of doing like different anti-fragrancy type things and that there's also like small batch and artisanal and like then there's french style you know uh, alembic style indian style there's all these different uh schools and stuff that i suddenly started just becoming like oh this rabbit hole i actually was trying to tell uh, another friend in a big band about it and he said oh no i just found out that it's like a story with like basically an endless rabbit hole he's like that means i can't do this because you know i'll get like you where there's like 300 full bottles over there and maybe 700 samples of stuff. It's an expensive habit, I oh imagine. And not... it's so much cheaper than drugs. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. maybe not as <laughs> And healthier. I want you to write a book about that so I can learn all about it. It feels I right. took it to, um, I, I did this amazing reading with like some of my heroes in, in um, it was in Baltimore and it was Scott McClanahan was um, there and I am such an admirer of his work. And his wife, uh, Juliet Escoria. I'm a huge fan of hers too. It's unbelievable that they have that much talent in that couple. Um, and then um, also the the third writer was Chelsea Hudson, who put out my book. Um, who you know, I I hope it goes without saying, but like I just she's she's just the most incredible woman. I'm so blown away by her all the time. Um, her book tonight on someone else. I've probably read more than any other book out there. Maybe The Great Gatsby. I've read more. But I've read her book maybe six or seven times. I read it the day that I got it. I read it the next day because I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And then I <laughs> gave it to my partner to read. And as she was reading it, I read it again. And then I did a book club about it. And then Chelsea and I became, uh, you know, acquaintances. And she said that she wanted to start a press and that she loved my book and all this stuff. And uh, now, now we've grown quite quite close. But I'm still such an admirer for writing. And while I was there at the uh, the reading, we went out afterwards, and I had I had heard that Juliet was kind of into it too. So I brought a bunch of stuff down for her to smell, and like everybody at the table, like it was like me, me and like Megan Boyle, and like it was like a bunch of people like smelling stuff, and <laughs> um, it was just kind of it was wild how to watch them sort of light up and start to hear what I'm talking about with like, well, this one's a little more avant-garde because the perfumer, you know, it he's a printmaker and he does all this stuff. And so his chemistry knowledge is more in this direction. They'd be like, oh my gosh, you know? Um, and so that's what Juliet said. She's like, if you don't write about this at some point, yeah, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I want to read it. Me and um, Chandra and I want an invite to the next smell dinner. Yeah. Oh yeah, we have to do <laughs> For that. Sure. Is there like a scent cleanser? Is it a coffee bean? Like, how do you cleanse between smelling? I have so many questions. The, so the coffee bean thing is a little bit of like, um, it's not really true. It doesn't really reset your nose. Um, they say that the most, um, the most helpful reset is either unscented cloth that you've been wearing, uh-huh. or a patch of your skin, your own skin. That doesn't have perfume on it because okay. there's something about the smell of your own body that your your mind's sure. yeah that's just you that's not like I'm not smelling something foreign that's just me and then you kind of can come back to it although if you really overload your senses it you need to give it like 15 minutes to an hour depending on like how sensitive you are and it's funny because on per, per, perfume boards all the time I'll see people talking about this like thermonuclear scent that I've smelled that is so loud and so tenacious. And they'll be like, after 20 minutes, you can't smell it. It's it's so weak. And it's like, dude, you blew out your nose because <laughs> it's so strong. And you're now you think that it's weak. Um, yeah. It was so interesting. The boards are fun, though. It's the thing that you probably wouldn't guess is it's they're flooded with guys. And the guys are always like so bossy about what's good and what sucks. Okay. <laughs> and so I know, right? And so I'm constantly telling these like jerks on the internet that they're stupid and they can't smell. <laughs> that's the fun of that's Jeez. the fun of a hobby is I don't have to be Jeff on Thursday. Be yeah. like, you're an idiot. <laughs> wow. Is this like a Reddit thing or are there like really special secret ones that we Well, Fragrantic is like the big one. Um, it's sort of like mostly reviews of 
of perfumes. So you'll go and there'll be 500, 600, and then you'll see people fighting in the reviews with each other, which is amazing. I love it. And then um, the other one is base notes. And that's more of like a classic message board where there's threads about different things. And base notes is interesting because they have like also a DIY perfumers corner. So there's a few like pretty well-known perfumers on there that are like, no, that's not how you do a Shepra formula. You know, that's not how you do a fougere. The fougere needs to have these three ingredients or else it's not a fougere. Just like that's... books. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to say what I've seen of the literary community is a lot more gentle than the perfume community. But also in the perfume community, you can literally like approach the superstar and be like, hey, I liked your work. And they're like, oh my God, you did? Oh, <laughs> because like nobody ever treats perfume as art, you know, it's like yeah. who it is a consumer good. So people are like touched when you like make the connection with their work. You know? oh, For your next book, you should release like a series of perfumes chapter to chapter so you can experience like what you were experiencing. Just throw no, that out there. There is a, there's a really beautiful people in the perfume world just call it the guide. But it's the guide of perfumes A to Z by Luca Turin. He's an Italian critic and it's like an omnibus of basically every classic perfume and he reviews them on a you know one to five star basis and it's so good because occasionally he'll write a couple pages of how beautiful and symphonic something is or you know he'll compare it to a stereo and all the components working and whatever and then sometimes he'll just like like the most cutting like three line review that's just like whoa he hated that one and he just cut that perfumer down to size you know what I mean? Um, and people really love his writing. He's he's drama. I love yes. that. Intense. Yeah. It is like no. It's like best in show or something. Yeah, that maybe that's the kind of art that needs to be made about perfume. It's like a real. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to read that perfume book. I'm serious right now. So serious. And along with a serious question that we ask everyone, and I'm really excited about your answer, Jeff, what do you know to be true about yourself, the world, and the universe? Um, okay. Three answers? Usually. Okay, 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 okay. Um, myself... Um, so for myself, I'd say that my greatest strengths are also my greatest weaknesses and that all of my life in the last five years and hopefully going forward is learning, is learning to make the most out of those strengths and keep the weakness part of it, of those same characteristics under control, you know, knowing the difference between when it's a positive or a negative, those things, um, was it the world and the universe? Mm -hmm. The world. Um, I think the thing that I've been thinking about the most recently is, you know, we talk about nature versus man, you know, how man is messing up nature. I think man is nature. <laughs> so when I think about natural processes, it's like, yeah, but building a city is like building an ant colony or like a, a hive, a bee's hive, you know, so I think of it as all that. It's all natural. You know, if it's on the planet, it's all natural. <laughs> all of it's all natural. <laughs> um, in the universe, I think that probably the universe is a uh, is uh, is all one thing. That's all. Just that we're all like we're all part of it. You know, every little piece of the universe is a piece of us, and vice versa. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, beautiful. Agree yeah. with you. Awesome. It also probably has a lot to do with space, right? Just going back. Oh, yeah. oh space. I know. Yeah. You're a space head now. I'm going to be after this conversation. I feel like I want to deep dive into those books immediately. Yeah. Um, so we're going to wrap up soon. We have two more questions for you. Um, this one's a little bit more in line with kind of, you know, our usual show talk. Uh, you know, we talk to a lot of partners on the show about the balance of touring and making art, um, you know, and trying to reconcile that with being home and holding on to relationships and making time for that. So what is that balance, if that's a fair word, uh, between writing and touring and other responsibilities and relationships look like for you? Um, well, have you ever heard the phrase? I think it's like, I think it's like pink. It's like 
uh, two income, no children. Um, I joke around that ours is um, is Tani, which is two artists, no income. Because <laughs> um, my, my partner is also an artist. She has this amazing um, documentary food show called Food Curated um, here in New York City. It's on a... You know, it's too bad that the cat that nobody takes cabs anymore because it plays in the back of the cab when you get in the cab. Um, and she's right now she's on little subway ads, which is so I love seeing her little smiling face on the subway ads. But she's um, you know, she does the whole show herself. She shoots it, she edits it, she promotes it, she you know all that stuff. Uh, she does it with the mayor's office, the New York twenty five or whatever it is twenty three. Um, but she is incredibly dedicated to her craft and spends so much time working on it. When she's like on a deadline for a season, it's like just I wake up in the morning, she's working. I go to bed at night, she's still working, you know. Um, so we have a real understanding of each other. That we're both like that. And we also sometimes have to be there for each other because, you know, uh, when you're putting all your time into something to hopefully have like a good, a good outcome come from it. It's not always guaranteed. You know what I mean? For me, it could be like a tour falls through or somebody leaves a band or we don't get signed or whatever, you know, whatever happens, it can be a blow. And for her, there's similar kinds of ups and downs. And we try to just be there for each other to say, Hey, uh, it's okay. You know, you're an artist and you, you make beautiful things and that's what counts. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily how the world judges those things or whether the suits get it and want to give you money for it. Uh, even though obviously we need money to live, you know, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here with you. With you but, but you know, that's, we try to be there for each other. Um, and and to encourage each other and to have, you know, excitement about each other's wildest ideas, you know, and that's, that's a lot of what our, our life is like at home with touring. It's, it, it was hard this year because this was supposed to be a slow year for me, which is why I was like, we'll put out the book this year. And then Thursday got a bunch of festival offers. And then I got this solo tour offer and it just like, it was one of those weird things where it just filled completely up April to October where it was like almost more busy than any other year I've had in like a long time. So that was a little, that was a little tough because the three months that I had at the beginning of the year are when she was on deadline for her show. Mm -hmm. So we had a little bit of a ships in the night passing each other kind of vibe this year, but you know, we've been together for a long time now, so we're trying to weather it. Mm -hmm. You find that groove. Just kind yeah. of see each other when you can. And be forgiving of like the fact that sometimes like, it's just going to be that kind of luck. Yeah. And it's luck too, because you're, you know, the Tawny vibes, you know, it's like you want to have the tours, I'm assuming, you know, and you are like grateful for when it comes, but that can also feel really overwhelming. I definitely relate to that from the other end too, from the spouse end, because it's like, obviously you have the best job in the world and you should go do it, but also I am alone. Yeah. So, <laughs> relate to that deeply. Yeah. And that's tough. Like, you know, it's like, obviously there's no separating loving a person for their wild spirit, their artistic wild spirit. And then also being like, I want more of it. And you're giving more of it to everybody else right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So true. It's really important that you both have something going. Yeah. We hear that a lot on the show. It's just like, you need your own thing, you know, so that you don't feel like you're always kind of at the you know mercy of somebody else's thing. Yeah. And, you know, that's I mean, that even that even when you have a partner who has their own thing, you know, it's like one person's career can be in an ebb and the other one can be in a flow. And that can be challenging too because you're like, I'm getting all the luck. You're getting none of the luck or vice <laughs> yeah. versa. How do we do this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Just love each other through the lows. Yeah. Be most generous. You know, when you see the other person's not getting all the luck that you know they deserve because you love yeah. them, you see them and you're like, how could, how could anybody miss this about them? You know? Yeah. Be most generous, period. What a beautiful all the time. sentence. Yes. Yeah. What a beautiful <laughs> sentence. All the time. Be most yeah, generous. No, that's true. That's true. 
All right, our last song, our last song, our last this question. Is our last song. <laughs> this is our last song, Jeff. <laughs> and it's gonna be a good one. Um, what would your theme song be? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, oh man, my theme song. <laughs> I'm sure like everybody else, the first thing that pops into my head is like bah, 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 you know the uh the the curb your enthusiasm theme or whatever. <laughs> it shouldn't be that. It's a classic. <laughs> I try not to let it be that, but <laughs> is that it? That's it? That's the one? I guess so. Yeah, I mean, like, I want to think of a really good one that really typifies who I am, but that is literally what pops into my head. So I'm like, that's probably first answer, best answer type thing, you know? Oh, yeah. Love it. Well, thank you so much for making time for us. I'm glad we got to catch up and talk about your book. I just on a personal level. So I'm grateful we did this. Me too. I'm so sorry that it took me a minute to get in here. No, not at all. It happened just as it should. Mm hmm. It worked out. Well, because it was uh, over Zoom, it, it worked out. I had I was supposed to do. Um, do you know the podcast True and On? Oh, oh it's really fun. Um, I was supposed to do with them yesterday and had to cancel because it was in person. And I was like, uh, "Oh, yeah." Hmm. Well, hopefully you'll test negative and get out on the road and be feeling yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Maybe we'll cross paths this year if you're busy. And oh my gosh, I hope so. I mean. Yeah, we've been missing missing you like ships in the night, but now I feel like we're we're gonna circle back around. It's it's like uh it's like a psychological priming. Now we're gonna see each other everywhere now that we yeah. can totally. podcast. Soaked <laughs> about totally. bring it on. Our friendship isn't in retrograde, so take that Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Chat soon. Yeah, it's great to see you both. Yes, you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.